Yo, Nige, can you believe it's our fifth episode of the season already? No. I know. You know what that means? Uh, popping bottles in the studio. Finna get turnt. Turnt episode. Turnt ish. Okay. That's a new oh, episode. All right, let's calm down, Nige. Turnt er. Um, I'm still trying to pay bills, and I don't want to get fired. So let's not get fired. Yeah, true. Davey better edit that out. But welcome to another episode <laughs> of Adultish from YR Media. We hope you guys have been going strong on your adulting journey. And I mean, chances are you probably are because you're still here with us. Uh huh. And today we're gonna have a lot of fun, but we're also gonna be mature adults by getting into a more serious topic. Yup, you're gonna hear all about race-ish. We're gonna laugh, we're gonna cry. For real, like one of us gets pretty emotional, so if you want to send some tissues over the interweb, send them to all our social medias at YRAdultish. And if we get no tissues in our DMs, then I guess no one's listening and we'll cry even harder. <laughs> all right, Mark, you want to start by giving us the scoop on who's joining us? All right. First up, we talked to Marcus Scribner of ABC's Blackish. Yeah, Marcus tells us all about his <clears throat> questionable fashion game and gets real with misconceptions about HBCUs, aka historically black colleges and universities. Like, oh, what do you learn at your HBCU? Black math. It's like, no, I learned math, homie. What? You're telling me people from different ethnicities all add, subtract, and multiply the same way? Yob, you do the math, Merc. It's like we're all equal. <laughs> I get it, I get it. Then we get real in our feels with Ashley Hayes, one of my favorite poets of all time who shares an exclusive new piece with us. Then we're gonna finish things off with Crazy Rich Asians actor and The Daily Show senior correspondent Ronnie Chang, who gets into the details of his new comedy show that seriously, yet satirically, covers international student college life. Yee, let's get into it. So I was Googling Asian jokes. Oh, why are you just Googling Asian jokes? Are you discriminating against black jokes? Dude, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was just on the internet and I fell down one of those spiral browsing holes thingies. <laughs> well, you might not want to do that because the internet's a pretty mean place, Lil Merc. <sighs> yeah, I know that now. My poor heart. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say that I think there are tasteful ways to bring race into comedy and then they're just straight up terrible stuff out there. Shame on y'all people. <laughs> well, let's focus on the good stuff for now. Today's guest comes from a show that talks about race in a funny and tasteful way. You've seen him as the nerdy Andre Johnson, aka Junior on Blackish, the ABC show that's currently on its fifth season. Side note, their show title has no relation to ours, but uh, we might have to swoop today's 18-year-old guest from Blackish to Adult-ish because sometimes I can't stand Nige. Oh my God. Merck, <laughs> can you bring it back to the special <laughs> guest? This is not about us. Okay, okay. So he's already achieved a voice acting milestone by landing a role in a Disney Pixar film. He played Buck in The Good Dinosaur. And he's also done humanitarian work with the Sandals Foundation. Joining us from LA, it's Marcus Scribner! What is Well, before we get into like the heart of this interview, I'm dying to ask you a question that I think the world's all wondering. Mm. Who has better style, Marcus Scribner or Junior from Blackish? Okay. All right. Let's settle this <laughs> once and for all, okay? Um, I think we have two completely different styles. I love the stylist that we have over on Blackish, Michelle Cole. She is a queen right. but then you know I'm, I'm pretty fancy outside of, of the show as well so you know i've got i've got to <laughs> give it a solid tie real quick could you uh describe for the people out there listening what you're wearing right now since it's a pretty uh 
nifty getup you got on. Mm, oh, yes. okay. All right. All right. Um, so it's right original now, Marcus design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's original Marcus by Marcus. No, but um, it's camo. I've got on camo pants. Some nice okay, okay, uh, trendy. camo green pumas. Ooh. They're, pretty, they're pretty fire. Little coordination. Yeah. Um, and then we've got this nice camo green uh, and navy denim blue button up top, which is very weird describing it. But if you saw it, you'd be like, ah, oh, that works. <laughs> okay. So far we're camo on camo on camo. What else yeah. are you wearing? Um, I love With camo. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? A... He's so camouflaged. Green. Yeah, exactly. You, you guys couldn't even find me in the studio if you were here. But green is my color. I love green. Right, but real talk though, are there any uh, similarities between your character and you in real life? I don't think so. Not at, not as much as uh, as a lot of people tend to believe. I think um, I'm definitely mm. a nerd. I love video games, comic books, superheroes, Woo-hoo. anime, all of the mm. such. Yes. Um, but then there's a lot of differences between me and Junior in the fact that I feel Junior's extremely gullible. And he lets people push him around. And sometimes I'm like, come on, Junior, get up, do something. Um, then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a character. But a vast majority of differences. I think Junior's style is a lot more like... Uh, vibrant, colorful, like out there, boom, bang, bada, bang. Um, and I'm more like... Is camouflage not that? No, I mean, see, here's where jun- I draw <laughs> it's the line. Junior, it's camouflage. Junior's very flexy with the colors, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I feel yeah. like my style's a little bit more chill, reserved. I go with, like, the beiges, the uh, the wine mm. reds, you know what I mean? Mm. Oh, Ooh. yeah, fancy. Classy. Ooh, the Chardonnay. You know, the Chardonnay, the Concorde Grill. <laughs> the Chardonnay. Wine red. Yeah, Chardonnay. <laughs> Fashion forward. Can, but, Chardonnay, yeah. can Chardonnay be red? <laughs> Can it? I don't. I don't even know about alcohol. I'm, I'm 18. <laughs> all right. So. Oh right. Okay. So moving on past this alcohol <laughs> talk, um, I heard that in your show, sometimes while taping, the cast just goes straight into a deep improv session. Mm-hmm. Everybody on the show is so creative and so hilarious. So usually after most scenes, we're coming up with. I don't know, just lines upon lines of just hilarious content that never gets to see the light of day. And you're like, dang, I said something really funny, and they didn't edit it in, which is kind of upsetting, but I love our editing department. But yeah, we love improv. (laughs) Can you give us an instance of, like, one of these improv sessions? You were just, like, straight up fire, and you're like... Okay, I wanna, I wanna, I'm gonna tell you guys that uh, one of the uh, one of the jokes that actually made it into the show, mm-hmm. um, it was I think it was like season one or two or something like that. Oh, way back. Yeah, way back in the day, you know, we were mm-hmm. at one of the basketball rec centers, right? And Junior's doing stretches on the side um, on a bench, mm-hmm. right? And Dre is supposed to go. What are you doing? And uh, my improv at the time, my clever, amazing 14-year-old self said, (laughs) I'm doing yoga. And they used it in the show. And I was like, yes, I did it. Now you're a man. Now I'm a man. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm your old uncle. Like, shoot, that's the baby? Look at Junior. Oh, grown. 18. (laughs) Anyways, now it's time for you to win the Nobel Peace Prize (laughs) on our advice segment called Goals. And since we're talking about race-ish, it only makes sense that Marcus will teach us a thing or two about hashtag race talking. So let's get right into it, shall we? Okay. Let's okay. dive in. Yeah, let's start with uh, interracial dating or friendships for, you know, the, the ones who are not in relationships. So I'm thinking about the episode where your character Junior brings home a white girlfriend and your TV mom, played by Tracy Ellis Ross, doesn't know how to feel about it. Mm -hmm. I've had a similar experience, but I want to know from you, Marcus, 
what are some tips you have about introducing someone new to your folks that might not come from the same background as you? I think it's really important, obviously, to let them know that you're happy. It's not about skin color. It's not about where you come from. Um, it's really about the person and the connection that you share with them. If you're happy um, and your parents can't accept that, uh, well, tough luck. I think it's really, really important to make sure that you you get the point across that, no, they this person also loves me. I love them. I mean, maybe you don't love each other yet, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I like them. I like like them. Yeah, I like them a lot. <laughs> We don't want to get too attached. No, okay. You're like, right. I remember I was in high school, and I brought, like, this girlfriend home, and she was Mexican and Dominican, and then, like, my mom was like, oh, like, hi, how are you? <laughs> and, and I just remember my mom talking to me like I was, like, two years old. She was just like, oh, so, like, do you like black women? Like, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Is like, this a it has that nothing to do with that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... It's definitely a conversation starter. <laughs> it's just like that tiptoeing tone, like, oh, yeah. so who is this? Yeah. So another question that we have is, on the episode Black Math on Blackish, you get accepted to Stanford University and Howard University, uh, which is an HBCU. And for those of you listening who don't know what an HBCU is, it stands for Historically Black College University. And in the show, your dad's not really feeling it because you aren't even really considering even going to Howard. You're kind of like dead set on mm-hmm. Stanford. And um, your mom, Bo, is like really backing you on that decision. And so then your dad takes you on like a campus tour and ultimately it ends up going wrong because it kind of like makes it seem like HBCUs don't really prepare you for the quote unquote real life. Mm-hmm. But all I remember, long story short, is that Twitter like went off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was so upset because HBCU students felt like misrepresented and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So what I wanted to know was you're about to start college, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, not right now. Fall twenty nineteen because I'm deferring yeah. a year. So mm. But soon. Soon you soon, you're, soon you're gonna start college. Yeah. Exactly. So What I wanted to know is, like, if you could break it down for people in that same situation, like about to go into college, Mm -hmm. what are, like, some of the pros and cons or misconceptions about HBCUs versus non-HBCUs or uh, PWIs, like predominantly white institutions? Right. So this is what I want to get straight off the bat. So I feel like a lot of people misinterpreted the episode. I think it was definitely Dre's perspective that he thought right. HBCUs don't prepare you um, for the real world from what what he had previously experienced. But I think mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. we tried to make it obvious that from going on the uh, on the tour of Howard that Junior was really enjoying his experience and just like learning and seeing his culture all around him. Mm-hmm. I think that there are definite benefits to to both. Like Going to HBCU, you you get to experience your culture. You get to be immersed with other students, um, like-minded black individuals. That definitely cultivates a different experience. And anybody who says that HBCUs don't prepare you for the real world is, like, probably the dumbest (laughs) statement I've ever heard in my entire life. Right. Because it's it's a college. I mean, everybody's there to learn. You know what I mean? Like, how is that Mm -hmm. not preparing you for what life has to offer? Mm -hmm. It's just it's kind of frustrating and upsetting 
um, to even think about that. And I think kind of like even just touching on what, what one of like the moments in our episode was, uh, one of Dre's past employers was like, oh, what'd you learn at your HBCU? Black math. It's like, no, I learned math, homie. <laughs> All right. But um, right? <laughs> I think it's really, again, it's really what, what you feel is right for you. If you go on a tour of an HBCU and you're not really feeling it, then don't go there. Go somewhere else. Just make the decision that's smart for you, which is what I kind of liked about our episode is Junior in the end, he ends up deciding to go to Howard. Um, even though he got exactly. an acceptance from Stanford and was like, oh, Stanford's the end-all, be-all. But he was like, no, I want to go to Howard because this is what makes me happy. This is what I like. I really like the way this campus vibes. I like the students. So it just kind of it, – it, I, I know I went off on a tangent a little bit there, but um, <laughs> it just kind of hey, – That's what we do. Yeah, it, it, it just kind of frustrates me when people are like – uh, HBCU versus non-HBCU. It's like, do what's do right. you, boo, okay? <laughs> yeah. What I love about the end of the episode, too, is, uh, you know, as you as junior, you were saying that, like, you were, by being there, you could see, like, other black people who not mm-hmm. only were some of them like-minded like you, but other people, like, you know, didn't really agree with you and stuff yeah. like that, and that was okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's always important to have discourse because if there's, if there's, disagreements then that's how we grow and we learn together and if we can accept each other even through those disagreements and um we become better people and i feel like that's what college is all about there are believe it or not black people with different views than you you know what i mean like we're not all the same (laughs) right what mind blowing right um so going on to our next goals question Mm -hmm. i think it's pretty safe to say that the three of us are pretty proud and open with talking about our racial identities Mm -hmm. but not everyone else is because when it comes to race it ain't something everybody knows how to face right so (laughs) what advice do you have for folks who aren't quite comfortable talking about it i mean like where do you even begin um I know I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but I feel like honesty is the best policy. If you just cut straight to the chase, talk about your racial identity, what your racial makeup is, your background, just just get straight to it. I think it's it's important not to dance around it like, ooh, race is such a touchy subject. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like if more people were open to talking about it, it wouldn't have to be a touchy subject like I, I feel like the same thing can go for salary people are so uncomfortable talking about money and all that kind of stuff but like if we're open we can come together and like increase our wages and stuff like that like I feel like it's important to be open with how you feel yeah for sure. yeah and be open to like people just not knowing about your culture and, and then educate them because yeah. I mean like the more like you let people in the more people are like will want to know, you know? Yeah, exactly. Last but not least, without spoiling too much, um, mm. or maybe just a little bit of spoilage, mm. <laughs> okay. if you could give us, uh, <laughs> if you could give your character, Junior, some words of wisdom from season five, what would it be? Okay. Uh, without spoiling too much. Hmm. <laughs> no, nah, just go ahead and spoil it. I mean, it. Uh, you cares, know, no, right? no. I'm trying not to spoil. This is coming from the execs. I, I, I know you want me to spoil stuff. <laughs> But, uh, no, we're the same. We're the same organization, right? So we yeah, I know, adultish, blackish, you know, potato, ish, 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 ish. We're ish sis. Um, but I, I, I think the words of advice I would give Junior is definitely stand up and get it together. <laughs> so <laughs> please mm-hmm. don't hurt me, ABC. But uh, that that was. <laughs> 
that was the info I, I I wanted to spill. Well, to be to be on your defense, ABC, like you know, that's general advice that could be applied to anyone. Anything, anyone. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Marcus, to help us reach our hashtag race talking goals. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. I'm still trying to think of what stand up and get it together has to be. I'm going to dissect that like all weekend. <laughs> he said stand up and get it together. There was a space between the two words. So <laughs> What does it mean? There will Where be was an the article comma? by the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so Junior in season five. <laughs> Let's break it down. So see what Marcus is up to on Insta, Twitter, at Marcus Scribner. And of course, watch season five of Blackish, which is and of course, watch season five of Blackish, which is out right now. So, Murky, you know I'm a bit of a spoken word and poetry enthusiast. I do. You actually have been hashtag blessed with the poet gene. Thank you. You about thank to you. bless the rest of us with the Nige original? Bruh, not even. Like, so I submitted one, but then Davey rejected it. <laughs> Me? Ouch. I think I remember that. So what I had to do was I had to go find one of my personal favorite poets to come bless the adultish fam with at least one of her most amazing poems ever. Hey, she's probably better than you anyway. For sure is, though. For real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let me know who we got. So this marvelous poet, creator, and student of the universe comes straight from Atlanta by way of Chicago. Her nickname is, get this, Big 30 for practically getting a perfect score in all poetry competitions she's been part of. And just as cool, she's been a finalist twice for the Woman of the World Poetry Slam. Basically, we got Poetry Slam royalty among us. So Ashley Hayes is in the adultish house. Welcome. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> So, Ashley, what we wanted to do was we wanted to start off uh, by asking you a little bit about how you got your start in poetry. Like, were you just born a wordsmithing pro? <laughs> so, I think I was born a performer. I've been known to be dramatic. Um, <laughs> but I've been writing since I was about 10 years old. I've been writing. I started writing in church, and I've just been doing it literally ever since. Oh, shoot. Like, what were you writing at, like, 10 years old? Oh, I mean, I guess my biggest frustration at the time was, like, somebody stole my pencil, maybe. You know? <laughs> Whatever kid drama is, you know, my mom and dad won't let me go to the movies this weekend. It's the end of the world, you know? Yeah. That kind of hey, stuff. <laughs> it was the end of the world at that time. I don't blame you. Right. That was the end of my very, you know, limited world at the time. <laughs> so I wrote that, and I just apparently have a knack for writing the world as I experience it. So I've been doing it ever since. So there's a poem you wrote that really hits what we're talking on all about today, race-ish. This is a piece you performed for Button Poetry during the prelims at the 2015 Individual World Poetry Slam. It's called Four Colored Girls, a.k.a. the Missy Elliott poem. We're going to play that right now. A brief history of womanhood in hip-hop or your favorite could never or for colored girls who don't need Katy Perry when Missy Elliott is enough. Third grade, I'm in the hallway when I'm sure I shouldn't have been, and Corey White comes up to me and asks, yo, have you heard that new Missy Elliott track? I reply, 
Who is Missy Elliott? At the time, my parents only let me listen to gospel in the smooth jazz station, but that day, I went home, ran upstairs to my room, closed the door, a cardinal sin in a black mother's house, and waited on TRL to come on. And then it happened. Metallics and a black trash bag fill my TV screen, and I hear the coolest thing I'd ever heard in eight years of living. Beep, beep, who got the keys to the Jeep? And at that moment, I had my entire life figured out. I was going to grow up to be Missy Elliott. I spent the next 10 years of my life recording and rewinding videos to learn dance moves, passing that Dutch, getting my freak on and trying to figure out what the hell she was saying and work it. There were so many artists I could have idolized at the time, but Missy was the only one who looked like me. It is because of Melissa Elliott that I believe that a fat black girl from Chicago could dance until she felt pretty, could be sexy and cool, could be a woman playing a man's game and not be apologetic about any of it. If you ask me what representation in the media is important, I will show you the tweet of a teenager asking who this new artist is Katy Perry brought out for the Super Bowl. I will show you my velour outfit and the matching Kango I begged my parents for. I will show you a 26-year-old woman who learned how to dance until she felt pretty. Feminism wears a throwback jersey, bamboo earrings, and a face beat for the gods. Feminism is the Brad, Missy Elliott, Lil' Kim, and Angie Martinez on the Not Tonight track. Feminism says, as a woman in my arena, you are not my competition. As a woman in my arena, your light doesn't make mine any dimmer. Dear Missy, I did not grow up to be you, but I did grow to be me and be in love with who this woman is. To be a woman playing a man's game and not be apologetic about any of it. If you ask me what representation is important, I will tell you that on days I don't feel pretty, I hear the sweet voice of Missy singing to me, pop that, pop that, jiggle that fat, and don't stop, get it till your clothes get wet. I will tell you that right now there are a million black girls just waiting to see someone who looks like them. That was so dope. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so this poem kind of sounds like it's partially a major throwback of you discovering Missy Elliott in elementary school slash a reflection of how her presence made a difference in your life. So can you dig a little deep and tell us how Missy changed your worldview? Yeah, for sure. So um, I grew up, I spent the first part of my childhood in Chicago. I grew up in the South Suburbs. And I um, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia when I was about 10 years old. And so um, my view of the world was super limited. And of course, um, limited to whatever I saw on TV. And so I remember, you know, TRL used to be big at the time. I'm probably telling my age. TRL on MTV. <laughs> And, you know, they had, like, all the popular videos, like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys were popular, um, Britney and Christina. But when I saw Missy Elliott's video, I that was, like, the first time, literally, that I saw somebody who looked like me. And when I say look like me, I mean met those intersections. You know, there were black girls. Destiny's Child was out at the time. But to see a plus-size black woman um, who defied the gender binary and was just unapologetically, like, just gangster. At that moment, I realized, hey, 
it is actually possible to be in this body and be exactly who I am and have this platform and make music and be whoever I want to be. I think representation is so important because it shows us what we have the possibility to be. The line um, where you said, right now there are a million black girls just waiting to see someone like them sent chills through me. And I'm guessing everybody who has ever seen, like, listened to the poem. Mm-hmm. Were you always uh, in love with your identity? Uh, no. I'm a fat black girl. <laughs> no, um, you know, kids are kids are cruel, and I was bullied for a lot of years. Um, I look a lot like my dad. Um, and you Me know, too. people. Oh, hey. ha- oh, you do too. <laughs> I look like, like my dad and my brothers, and I wasn't really a girly girl um, when I was a kid, and so um, it was a struggle because what you have to do is you have to to tell yourself that the noise is not true what they're saying isn't true about you what is true is that you're a worthy being you're a worthy body you're absolutely beautiful regardless of their idea of beauty because they don't define you Mm. preach yeah i can relate to that on a lot of levels not only do i look like my dad minus the mustache i pluck it um (laughs) but you know i'm a southeast asian american And I am a woman with darker complexion. And just like a little personal side story, I struggled with my skin color because I think colorism definitely exists. I know in the Vietnamese community, it's a thing. And I felt like I was not pretty because of it. And, you know, I don't think that anymore, but I still feel like there's people out there who do struggle with this today. Is there anything that you want to say to those people who might be going through that right now? Yeah, The truth is, is that you are a worthy being, that you are enough. The truth is, is that you are absolutely gorgeous the way you are. And I hate to say cliche stuff, but you need to believe it. If they say you're not worthy because of your skin color, it's a lie. It's just absolutely not true. And walk in that truth and activate that power. That's what I would have to say. I I definitely feel like just hearing your voice and stuff, you you carry a lot of power within you as a person. And, you know, you mentioned that every day it's a process of like falling in love with yourself. But what what really was that journey like for you as a black woman growing up with very little representation of someone who looked like you in the mainstream media? Oh, um, the process. And this is where we get into sort of like acts of self-love, I think. One of the things that I did, for a long time, I bought clothes that didn't fit me. I would buy clothes in the size I wanted to be and keep them in my closet. And I'll say, I'll lose the 10 pounds to fit the jeans. And I think maybe two or three years ago, um, I have a podcast called Unbasic, and we did an episode. And I said, buy clothes in the size you are right now. And that was probably one of the first acts of self-love that I really did for myself. And just the confidence boost that that did, because one, I'm in clothes that I like and they fit my body and I'm not waiting and I'm not wearing sweatpants, you know, just to ride something out. Um, I'm feeling beautiful in the body I have. And I think that's the biggest part is to begin to feel beautiful in the body you have. And then you can change it from a place of being empowered and not a place of of like being desperate for other people's approval. Dang. Well, as you heard in the intro, uh, even though my boss Davy is a bit of a hater, <laughs> don't uh, Davey I like do that. write a little bit. <laughs> Hi, Davey. Bye. <laughs> he didn't let me perform my poem. He was hating. <laughs> but um, I do write a little bit, and I was really wondering, uh, what's your writing process look like? Let's say this poem that you that you just performed. Uh, what was it like when you were writing that? I have this theory about my writing that I have, like, my own set of muses who, like, bring me poems. And I spend a lot of time just waiting for them to show up. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> I was actually quoted, sometimes them hoes don't show up. <laughs> so sometimes I'll write everything straight through. Sometimes I'll write everything straight through, leave it, and then come back to it and edit it. So the Missy Elliott poem, I think I started with the third grade. I'm in the hallway, and I'm sure I shouldn't have been. And I was just going to tell that story. And so I wrote like a big chunk of the story. Then I came back and I think I wrote Feminism Wears a Throwback Jersey, Bamboo Earrings, and a Face Beat for the Gods because I was like, oh, people need to know that that this was feminism before we were calling it that. Mm. So usually I'll write and then I'll come back to it and add whatever I think or take it out. So I know earlier we played an audio recording of one of your poems, but I mean, do you have anything live, like just in the vault that you could perform right now on the show? What? (laughs) <laughs> Anything you want. It the world is your stage, baby. It's what? all yours. <laughs> okay. Um actually I'm gonna take this opportunity. So I'm gonna do this new poem. So I have a new hey. book coming out early 2019. Ah. It's called Smoke. And so this Ooh. poem um is my newest stage poem from that book. It's called Him H Y M N, like a song in a book. Oh. And I wrote this poem for black women, for women of color, um, and for the ways in which they always hold me up and show up for me. And I'm gonna do this for you. Shoot! Get an exclusive. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up. Oh my God, I'm a little nervous now, so let me get it. <laughs> this is a place full of love and support. We are so ready to hear your words. Let's do it. Come through, eyebrows. Yes, highlight. I see you braid out. I posted another selfie on Facebook, and black women are doing what they do best, making me feel more visible than I have ever been, and I say lean in. Let me tell you of a wallless church, a congregation of women in the business of saving. Women who, when given the trash and the broken, refuse to think you disposable. Women who do the heavy lifting while the world gawks from the sidelines. Women serving as a second womb for motherless children, for grown-ass men intent on not doing their own emotional work. And we let you bask in the greatness. That is, should you be so lucky to be granted this magic because we might side-eye you to kingdom come. Might roll our eyes until you poof and disappear and ain't that sorcery? The way our defenses protect us from the elements, from a winter of fuckboys intent on getting all of our harvest and you so vain you think we do this for you. As if we wake up in the morning pandering to the world's gaze. As if the women of Alabama and Wakanda ain't have shit else to do than to save men from themselves. Lean in. We save ourselves first and you get saved in the process and ain't that the way it always goes. We get dressed in all the work we do and you are saved just by touching the hem of our garments. Black queer women create social justice movements and you make it about the men. Men oblivious to their own privileged men who demand we be black first and woman when only when it suits them. Our intersectionality is an inconvenient myth. Misogyny is a weed that grows back no matter how many think pieces you spray on it. The trouble with being the savior, though, is that people don't usually think you need saving. They don't think you need gentleness. To the women, I say I vow to be more gentle with you. Know that you are worthy of someone who helps you with the work. Too long we have dined with the world, serving food from our own gardens on tables that we bought and built. All that I have, I owe to black women. And when I hear somebody speak ill about black women, I think of the girl I used to be. Trying so hard to be one of the boys. I'm still forgiving myself for all the times I saw a wound or a mirror instead of a sister. But here I say I'm sorry. I say glory to the women who thought I was worth saving. Glory to the women who think I'm enough even on days when I fall short. To every woman listening to this, I say come through eyebrows. I say yes, highlight. I say I see you. 
You'll be visible and you'll be worthy of all this praise. That was that was crazy. You got me in here about to start crying. No. Don't do that. <laughs> oh my God. I never want to say one of my poems ever again. <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep writing and you gotta keep going. Hey, every time you're like, come through, I was like, come through, Ashley, you killing it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I just wanna say real quick, um, thank you for that, because <laughs> You just spoke to my soul right oh, there, honey. especially toward the end. Like, you know, I this is something that, you know, you said you wake up every day and you, you're like, you know, doing your little things of like self love and all this stuff and like putting your words out there for me. Like I, I'm doing the same thing in my own way, and I just appreciate you for like, really being able to capture that because that's, it's it's hard, you know, being a woman of color and. You just spoke the truth right there, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's why I do this work. I'm not wearing waterproof today. No, you're not going to make me cry <laughs> off my good lashes. Not today. <laughs> uh, you win, Ashley. You win. <laughs> it's really just a gift whenever you hear you, like, start your poetry. Like, it's just, you can just tell it just comes from such, like, pain and, and such pride and, like, all of that. And it's just so amazing. Where does like where do you channel like all of that when you actually start writing? I was angry when I wrote this poem because I felt like mm, okay. I feel I feel sometimes as a black woman that the only people who show up for me is is black women. And that can be the best feeling in the world. Um, It's the best feeling in the world to know that these capable women show up for me emotionally, that they show up and go to the polls, that they show up and do heavy work. But it also sucks to have to show up all the time. Like, when do we get a break? When do we get rest? When do we get the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not doing this today, but it still needs to get done. There's got to be a gift for that. And if nothing else, I can say to the women who do the work, I see you, sis, mm. and you make it look good. Mm-hmm. Snaps to that. Isn't that a poetry thing, too? Like, snapping? Yeah. <laughs> Poets wake up in the morning and we're like, mmm, snaps for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so I think just to end on a lighter note, um, So, you know, going back to the Missy Elliott poem, she knows how to get her freak on. But how does Ashley Hayes get her freak on? Excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) One, I dance. I dance a lot. I love dancing. Woo! (laughs) Such a loaded question. Um, I dance. I wear a lot of lace and corsets, too, generally. Ooh! I know, yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Um, (laughs) Ashley Hayes. I know, right? (laughs) And um, music, man. Uh, Some good Aaliyah, something you can body roll to. Mm. You got me body rolling. Good thing no one's in here because it's not looking cute. Right? I'm I'm body rolling. Body roll. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us, Ashley. Speaking to our hearts, you have truly been given the gift of slaying with your words. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all. Thank you all for hosting this podcast and doing this work. For more Ashley Hayes stuff, check her website out at ashleyhayes.com. That's spelled Ashley with two E. Know why.
So, Merck, what race are you? Human, duh. Uh, that's not what I meant. I meant, like, ethnicity. Like, what ethnicity are you? Oh, like, where are you really? Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, I don't think I've asked you yours, so I'll tell you if you tell me. For sure. I'm like a mix of everything. I mean, I'm African, Indian, and Irish. I mean, but you would never know that by just looking at me. When people know my last name, it's a dead giveaway. Nguyen or Nguyen. It's like the Smith of Vietnamese people. And fun <laughs> fact, did you know there's a super big Viet population in Australia? No. Like how many people? Oh, mate, I don't know, but I'm sure there's heaps of Nguyen blokes out there. <laughs> Bloke? Isn't that like a British thing? They don't actually say that in Australia, do they? I mean, yeah, but I'm pretty sure Aussie folks use it too. And uh, lucky for us, we've got a star from the land down under to tell us if that's true or nah. Ronnie? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, yeah, they do use the word bloke. They use the word mate. They also use... Uh, the C word a lot, Ooh. which... Uh, you cookie. Go, yeah, cookie. They use cookie a lot. <laughs> uh, they use it like punctuation. Okay, gotcha. So thanks for clearing that up. No um, this is a segment we like to call... Where we like to talk to ultra-rad people who have, you know, made it. All right, well, thanks for speaking to me. I think you probably got the wrong person in here, but... So today with me in NYC is Ronnie Chang. He's the senior correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He plays Eddie, the a-hole cousin in summer Hollywood blockbuster Crazy Rich Asians. That's Mr. A-hole cousin. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. A-hole cousin. <laughs> and he's the star and creator of Comedy Central's Ronnie Chang, international student. Welcome to adult-ish. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> So we got to ask, you have a segment called Everything is Stupid on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And there's one bit you did where you rip your shirt open and you've got leeches on your chest (laughs) to say that. That's actually actually every bit. Every bit I do ends with that. But yeah. (laughs) Leeches on your chest. Yeah. (laughs) You're trying to prove that uh, that's like going to be the new pet fad that rich people have. Were those real? Uh, No, those leeches were not real. Uh, (sighs) Unfortunately, SAG union rules prevent us from um, using real animals that draw blood mm. on set. But uh, I have had leeches on me before, though, in Thailand. Ooh. Yeah. So you tried to get real leeches. That was the goal. Yeah, we tried to get real leeches, and then we, we start from reality, and we try to move our way backwards, depending on what the lawyers say. So dang it, lawyers, and <laughs> yeah, judici- <laughs> the Western judicial system. Uh, but but uh, that's something that you guys can look forward to. Uh, adults taking the fun out of jokes. <laughs> Sucking yeah. it out. So since you were on The Daily Show, um, you're expected to be super up to date with all the current events and stuff like that going on. And us millennials, we get like a really bad rep for like not knowing what's going on in the world around us. Instead, of, Unless it's like on somebody's <laughs> Snapchat story or on somebody's like Twitter feed or whatever. Hashtag not woke. Yeah, exactly. Like why do you think that is? I mean, you tell me, you know, you're, you're the millennial millennials here you're the younger people here i feel like you guys get a bad rap for um presumably not keeping up to date because i think you guys keep up to date just in your own way Mm -hmm. i mean what how you just described it to me was that you don't keep up to date so maybe i'm completely wrong well i mean i feel like half the time like i'm i'm more up to date than like my parents and stuff on a lot of things like i'm reading something on twitter and i run down and i'm like hey dad like did you hear about this he's like nah and it comes on like the news like 30 minutes later. Yeah, so, you know, I I, I think you have quicker information sent to you than ever before in human history. So I don't know why people would say that. I guess 
the the key to enlightenment is having some perspective on that, right? And just mm-hmm. being somewhat aware that that's the case. And so you, you don't take things personally. At the same time, you 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 take criticism on board, you know, and that's that's it. No one has the answer. No generation has has the has has all the answers. Yeah. So let's talk about this summer in three words: crazy rich Asians. Yeah. The first Hollywood film to have all Asian cast since 1993, Joy Luck Club. Yes, your girl did her research. Yeah, way to go. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, what kind of feeling, Ronnie, does that bring to you, knowing that you were part of this monumental point in Asian representation history? Yeah, this is actually the sequel to Joy Luck Club, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. It's been so long. Yeah, that's a joke. People don't don't take that seriously. Obviously, it's awesome to be part of uh, a a project that uh, is representing something I really believe in. You know, telling Asian stories without being heavy-handed about it. My analysis of it is that it manages to address a lot of layers, like uh, American-born Asians going back to Asia. It also shows Asian people in a position of power and strength that I don't think is normally mm-hmm. shown. More importantly than that, it's, it's cool to be part of a movie that's actually good. I mean, forget the diversity angle, just being part of a good movie. So I would say don't watch it because it's Asian. Just watch it because it's a cool movie I think yeah I feel that I was able to go watch an advanced screening of it and you know sitting there in the seat I just had a lot of moments of like dang not only do I love this movie because I see people who like yo Constance she's got my side profile that's what's (laughs) up but also like don't underestimate that don't underestimate the power of symbols for sure and but also just the story in itself it was I loved how uh, John John M. Chu the director he played with a lot of different styles within the movie it's hip it's very hip yeah it's uh, very well done, you know, the, the cinematography and, as you said, the, the way the story is told using animation and cutscenes. And it's very, uh, the, it's very dynamic. And you get a, if you go watch it, y'all, you get to see how fly Ronnie looks in a suit, even though he's, you know, Mr. A-hole cousin. Yeah. He's got those optimal angles going on. Yeah. Also, how did you get involved with, like, the whole cast and everything of uh, Crazy Rich Asians? Like, did you just go, like, an audition for it or how'd that come about? So I saw the project was being reported in the news and mm-hmm. there was a headline, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was basically John Chu said he was having trouble casting the movie because he was looking for authentic accents. And so that, when I read that, I was like, oh, I have a shot here. Yeah. That's the only accent I can do. So let's, right. let's give it a try. So I tried to get an audition for it. I know this world. Like this is a, it's a story set in Singapore mm-hmm. and I grew up in Singapore. My parents live in Singapore. I know these people. I grew up with these people. I know this story. So I, I was like, I, you know, if you get me an audition, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can book this. You got it, so, La. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice English attempt there. She was trying to speak English. I <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> so on your show, International Student, that's your show based on your real life as a law student, right? In Australia? Yes. <laughs> Merck and I have already seen the series. But for those like listeners who haven't seen it, can you give us like the rundown on it? It's about uh, Asian international students studying in uh, Australian University, uh, which is what I did. I I thought it would be a cool story that hasn't really been told yet, but yet is very relevant to everybody in a weird way because I feel like that's how a lot of the time uh, East and West interacts in college. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, it's like a multi-billion dollar industry. I'm sure you you both have saw international kids at, at, at college. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I, I definitely did. Um, my college at Washington State University, go Cougs, uh, they were, we were set in a rural town, so it was predominantly white as expected, yeah. but I lived in a dorm where there was mostly international students, and yeah. it was weird because it's like, you know, I'm American-born Asian yeah. versus, you know, like, Vietnamese-born Asian, yeah, and yeah. it's it's so different. Yeah, very different, you know, and it's an obvious distinction, but it hasn't really been explored that 
not just not just the differences between Asian Americans and Asian people from Asia, but even we say Asian, you know, even that alone is like, you know, Asian people is not a monolith. Mm-mm. Like there's so many different types of Asians, you know, Japanese, Korean, Thai, uh, Laotian, Vietnamese. Indonesian, you Philippine, uh, Vietnamese, yeah. Malay, Chinese. And then you got the Chinese diaspora in Malaysia, which is me, you know, Chinese people in Malaysia. So my point is there's a lot of different types of Asians and they all usually hate each other. And and They, <laughs> they like, talk so much shit. Yeah, it's, they it's talk so much shit about each other. <laughs> but people kind of lump us all together, right? Yeah. And so um, ha- kind of having a show that even addresses that I think is interesting you know I love the show for a lot of different reasons I felt like it was really authentic to my experience as an Asian person all the oh, nuances great. like you know from introducing people to bubble tea yeah, to yeah. you know taking off your shoes and like the home setting getting yeah, pissed yeah, when yeah. people don't and yeah, yeah. Um, also it was when you go to a restaurant and they introduce a quote unquote Asian dish and you're yeah. like the fuck is this yeah. wow, I didn't know we could swear on this but now oh, that oh I, yeah go for now it now that I know I'm gonna really <laughs> you be you here. Ronnie yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I'm very interested because I feel like when white people watch the show, yeah. they they see like an Asian show. But I feel like when younger people watch the show, they just see like a college comedy. I thought like one of the <laughs> one of the coolest things was I felt like you really gave ignorance a voice with your the U.S. international student. Right. I thought that was like oh, so yeah. tight because he wasn't <laughs> always painted as like the bad guy. That's so important. Like when you're doing any type of educating anybody like about your culture, anything like that, yeah. is you need to let ignorance be okay and be yeah, like embraced. Yeah. Like, okay, tell us what what you don't know. Like yeah, so yeah. we can let you we can bring you in on it. Yeah, I think so. I think to just uh, attack people, you know, knowing the fine line difference between ignorance and racism is important. I mean, you're from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you would know. I feel like Americans yeah. don't really know Southeast Asia. Like, it's a big question mark for them. And I, uh, going to what we just said, I don't. That's not me calling anyone out. Like, why would why would Americans know about Southeast Asia? It's on the other side of the planet. Mm-hmm. You never watch the watch the TV shows. You never watch the movies. Why would you know? Mm-hmm. So that's not a evil or even a a weird thing. Like, of course, America wouldn't know about Southeast Asia. But yeah. so when we in the show, you know, like we we talk about the topics there, like colonialism in Southeast Asia or like the food that we eat in Southeast Asia, you know, and we do it in a way that I feel isn't like, we're not blaming anyone for not knowing, you know, we're just like showing them what it is. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah. Also, uh, I like the role that the administration played because that that's what made it super college for me because it brought me back to my college days, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, like I'm fresh out of the graduation game, but yeah. still I'm like... College admins are really bad. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're very, uh, <laughs> we made fun of that in the show as well. What messages were you hoping that people took away from international student? Um, you know, don't you know don't don't mistake the politeness of Asian people for meekness or mm. weakness. Snaps to so, that. So there's a lot of times in the show where I end up in fights, and <laughs> there's, there's a lot of confrontation in the show. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of episodes that end in in literal fights, <laughs> and also trying to show people like um, that these international students they're studying with even though they might never have mixed, you know, because we, we kind of segregate ourselves quite naturally, just culturally, mm-hmm. we tend to be in our own circles, that they're actually not too far off. The things that they think about, the things that they like are actually not too far off, you mm-hmm. know. And we're both actually very awful people. That we, <laughs> and if we only got to know each Everyone other, sucks. we would have bonded over how awful we all are, how cynical we all are at that age. Um, you know, entering college, everyone thinks that they're top shit and that, you know, they have all the answers. <laughs> Prime but, number but, one. Yeah, but really we have no answers because we're still trying to figure it out. You know, I was really trying to capture that energy of kids trying to be adults. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, also just showing 
Asian people on screen being more than just one dimensional sidekicks or punchlines. I thought that was a big that was a big deal for me. Yeah, I feel yeah. like the show definitely in- encapsulates what adult ish because it's like adult shit is all about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, last question. This is something that we ask all of our Mama I Made It guests. If you could tell your less adultish self a piece of advice in like a sentence or two, just preparing for the crazy that comes with living in this world. What would your advice to your younger self be? Um, don't be afraid to take your time to grow up. Mm. I was too anxious about trying to be an adult when I really wasn't. You know, take some time off on college and then restart. I, I mean, I wish I started college later, actually. Really? Because when I started, I wasn't mature enough to handle the workload. Yeah. That's deep. Yeah. Well, it ain't no thing without Mr. Chang. Ronnie, I'm glad you could come here with Nige and I to hang. Thanks. Thanks for hanging <laughs> out with me. Be sure to watch his show, Ronnie Chang, International Student, on the Comedy Central app and follow him on Insta and Twitter at Ronnie Chang. That's Ronnie with a Y. Well, everybody, we've made it to the finish line of our race-ish episode. <laughs> Thank y'all for listening to another episode of Adult-ish by YR Media, a national network of young artists and journalists creating content for this generation. Yup, and you know me and Merck really want to get your feedback on the show. Is there a guest like an actress or your favorite rapper or whatever like that you want us to bring on? Or some kind of ish you want us to cover for you? We got you. Uh-huh. Just let us know on our social medias at YRAdultish. Or if you're more old school, email us at adultish at yrmedia.org. And now, our big bundles of thank yous go out to our itty-bitty team of yours truly. Also known as woman who writes eulogies for her dead Twitter account. <laughs> My boy, Nige. A.K.A. 2017 Best Waves in a Bay All-American Champion. <laughs> and also, love to our senior producer, Davey Kim, who just technically entered his late 20s. Thank you to our EP, Rebecca Martin, who just had her 20th year work anniversary with Wire Media. Hey, get it, girl. And last but not at least I see you Gannity Joe Johnson our audio maestro once again please 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 leave us five stars and a nice review because if you do we will give you a personal shout out on our next episode nerd ish and now here's your 21 and up rated preview of our next episode's music guest the composer of Rick and Morty Ryan Elder you said the only thing that can get him to do those burps right is like chugging light beer so if he's doing a lot of burps then he's chugging a lot of light (laughs) beer <laughs> catch you nice next time <laughs> dude that was gross <laughs> i can burn my abcs do you want to hear nah you're good <laughs>